The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. My name is Brian. I am one of the pastors here. It's good to be back with you guys. It's been a couple of weeks. I was on vacation. Um, if you are new in the past couple of weeks and you love ACF Church, I just kind of hope I don't screw this up for you. Uh, but we are glad that you're here. Uh, we are finishing out our series, Fish On. And uh, this has been a great conversation as we've talked about what it means to be a disciple and a disciple maker. Uh, we went to Wyoming, went to uh, Frontier Days. Any rednecks in the room? No rednecks in first service. Okay, we have a couple rednecks. That's good. So, uh, yeah, Wyoming is strong with the redneck culture. Um, great time with the family. Great time uh, visiting them, getting up in the mountains, getting off the grid for a few days. Um, really, really enjoyed that. I just want to I say I am so grateful for the staff that we have here. I'm grateful for amazing leaders that keep things going. For you as a church that is a church that values the health of your pastors and of your leaders, that we're not burning out, running, uh, burning the candle on both ends but we are taking time away to be healthy. And so I'm so thankful. I listened to the sermons when I was gone. They did a great job. Pastor Josh and Pastor Jared are just awesome teachers. Can we give them a hand this morning? It's so good. It's so good to, to be away and to hear that church is still going on. And, and when, I, when we're on vacation, we go to other churches. We go visit other churches. And uh, whenever I'm there, I'm always missing you guys. And, and just I want you guys to know I love this church and I'm grateful for our community and our city that we get to serve in. I'm grateful for the friendships that we have within ACF Church. And so I uh, miss you guys when I'm gone. It's good to be back. We're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 19. And so if you want to open up to that uh, to kick into this morning, that's where we're going to be as our launching passage. We also want you to know if you are, uh, if you're new to church, if you're not a Christian, you're not convinced that uh, Jesus is real, you're not a follower of Jesus today, we want you to know that we love you and that we're glad that you're here. And this is a safe place to ask questions and to wrestle with your faith. And so uh, first, uh, first Kings chapter 19, verse 19 is where we're going to start. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. It says this, so he, and he's being the prophet Elijah, departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of the oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let me just pray for the word today. Jesus, thank you so much for these few moments that we have as, as a body to gather together. God, we just thank you that your word speaks to us. And we just invite you here today to, uh, to inhabit this, this place God, we don't want to waste this time. We really need to be moved by you. We need to be touched by you. We need to encounter a true and real God. And so, Father, show up here today, we ask. Bring back the sunshine. We're not done with summer yet. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So again, we'll be hanging out in 1 Kings today. This is the last week of this series. I love the conversation of discipleship. And if you haven't been here for the series, you need to understand this is basically the call to follow Jesus. And when Jesus begins his ministry, he uses these words. He says, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so we've been exploring what that really looks like to truly follow Jesus and to become fishers of men. And it begs the question, what is a disciple? A disciple is just a follower, just somebody who's willing to get in the life of somebody else and and dig around and watch them do what they do and learn from them. And this was a culture that understood this kind of learning, that understood that this is kind of an immersion, an immersion kind of learning where you get into somebody's life. And what we see today in in our culture is that people are learning this is a way that education works well. They're learning that the classroom setting isn't always the best way for most kids to learn. I uh, personally, I like to get into my work and learn things. I like to try things and dig around and, you know, tr- uh, that, that's how I learn best. I went to uh, the School of Automotive Technology in Cheyenne, Wyoming and learned how to work on cars. And you spent half the day in the classroom gaining knowledge, learning how things work, And then you spent the other half of the day in the shop working on cars, which was just a blast getting into it and getting dirty and greasy and taking the motor out and seeing how to do it and then putting it back in. You just learn more that way. And I think Jesus got this. He said, I can tell you what it means to to be a disciple, but I'd rather you follow me and see what it looks like in my everyday life. Anybody here struggle with commitment? Commitment people. Come on, be honest. Any commitment people? If you're a millennial, raise your hand. Come on. In your 30s, be honest. So I'm, I'm a millennial. I get this. We hate commitment. We can't stand it. I struggle with commitment. We want the most for the least. We want to get as much as we can without giving as, as much as possible. And so uh, when I got married uh, to Amanda, we started having this conversation about children about three years in. And she would bring it up, and I would shut it down. And then she'd bring it up, and I would shut it down. Because I was just like, you know what? We're doing pretty good. You like me. I like you. We're still married. You know, we're doing well. Why mess this up? And so we, uh, we, we talked and talked and talked. And she's like, listen, biological clock is ticking. My wife is four years older than me. I don't know if you know this. She's going to kill me for saying that. I may not say it in second service. Um, <laughs> Now that I think about it. So she's like, hey, biological clock is ticking. Time for kids. Let's do this thing. But she pulled back and just wait for me to get ready. And, and so I'm just sweating this whole idea. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'm ready for the commitment. And then finally, I, we actually went on a bike ride one day. And I took her out to this beautiful place. And I kind of, I, I said, listen, honey, I am ready to have kids. And she was just elated. She's so excited. And so then comes our first daughter, Cadence, who's now eight years old. And she's just awesome. I feel like we hit the baby lottery with Cadence. Our first child, um, don't hate us, but this kid never cried. I, I swear to you that she just never cried. She came out as a happy baby and never uh, never cried. She was always good. And, and so about a year, year and a half in after having Cadence, you know, things are going well, like better than expected. And Amanda sits me down. She goes, so it's time for number two. It's time. For, and I'm like, 
wait, wait a minute. You don't understand. No, I agreed to one. I didn't agree to any more. And what I didn't realize is that you women have your whole lives planned out. I mean, she had, she had this, she's like, okay, so when you have one kid, then you wait a little while. You can't wait too long. If you wait too long, then they're going to be emotionally disconnected from each other and won't know each other well. If you do it too soon, you can't take care of both of them. So there's this, there's this miracle zone where you have to have the baby in between. And I had no idea. And so if your wife is talking to you about having kids, it is a trap. It's a trap. So be ready for this. If you don't have kids yet, there's more to it. You aren't agreeing to, to just one kid. There's more coming. And so th- I didn't realize this. Now we have three and they're all good. But I told Amanda the same thing. I'm like, hey, listen, we have cadence. We like cadence. Why would we screw this up? But here we are. Um, I love my kids. But this is hard. Commitment is hard. And what we realize is that in discipleship, it takes commitment. It takes being willing to step into somebody's life, being willing to welcome other people into your life. And it is just plain hard. And so my question for you, what is it like to totally give yourself up for something? Do you know that feeling? Do you know what it's like to to really believe in something, to give yourself up for something and to not look back? I want you guys to watch this video. Okay. Daddy is the sweetest daddy in the world. (laughs) Daddy is the most handsome. The smartest. Clever, the kindest, he is my Superman. Daddy wants me to do well at school. Daddy is just great, but He lies about having a job. He lies about having money. He lies that he's not tired. not hungry. He lies that we have everything. He lies about his happiness.
How you doing? Woo! Okay, so, um, man, if, if that doesn't touch your heart, you need to check your pulse. Um, so I saw that video, and I'm like, what is this? Like a short film? I mean, where did this... It's a MetLife commercial. Where did commercials go? Oh, my goodness. Wow, that was crazy. So, yeah, so I want to give you a second, you know, pick yourself back up a little bit. Um, that is huge. It was just this story of this dad that loves his daughter. And the thing about the daughter, she keeps saying, my dad is a liar. He's a liar. Uh, what the little girl, I think, doesn't realize is what her dad is doing is not just lying. He is loving. He loves her. He's giving himself up for her. He's doing everything he can for his little girl. And, and the thing is, this touches your heart, doesn't it? There's just something compelling about self-sacrificial love. There's something compelling about this image of a guy who's hungry that rejects food so that his daughter can eat. There's something compelling about a guy that's working his fingers to the bone to provide for his little girl. It, it touches every human heart. And so let's get back to the text, and we're going to talk more about this in a second. This, this text that we're in today is considered often as the, the calling of Elisha. And so we've got these two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. And oftentimes people get them mixed up, often because they sound the same. Uh, they're not the same person. They're two different prophets. And prophets at this time were not very popular people. This wasn't like, you know, hey, Billy, what do you want to grow up today? I want to be a prophet. You don't want to be a prophet. This is not a good job. You end up speaking God's word to people, which is oftentimes, uh, for him, for this man, was, was the wrath of God. He had this guy, King Ahab, who he often spoke God's wrath towards. And so, uh, so Elijah, the prophet that we're speaking about here, is, is this guy that um, oftentimes had to say the hard things. He ever had to say the hard things. He had, to, he had to get into these situations that were a mess. Israel at this time was worshiping other gods, and, uh, and it was just a mess, and they weren't receiving the truth. And oftentimes his message was, the wrath of God is coming. Here is what's right. Here is what's wrong. You have an opportunity to make a choice. And he's speaking to this king who was kind of a weakling of a king who wouldn't stand up for what is right, who was often tossed by the waves of the culture around him. He's married to this woman, Jezebel, and Jezebel was fully devoted to the worship of her idols. And so she oftentimes injected this into the culture that they had. And so this is the, this is the kind of guy. He is a, he's a tough guy. He's a tough guy. We read that he wore this coat of camel hair, and he had a bald head. And I'm just kind of imagining this, this grizzly-looking dude. And so do we have that picture? Um, yeah. This is kind of what came to mind. I don't know. He probably didn't have a mask on. Uh, this is Bane from Dark Knight. But I'm thinking, like, grizzly dude, fur coat, bald head, just the kind of guy that needs to do the hard things and says the hard things. And, and, uh, and this, was, this was the kind of person that God needed for this time in the history of Israel. This was exactly who needed to be there. Because it needed to be somebody who was willing to have thick skin and to deal with these tough situations, who is often on the run for his own life. And so he's running away from Jezebel, who's trying to kill him. And as he's going, we find him in this, this place. It says, So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelfth. So he's walking along, and he sees this guy, this guy Elisha. 
And he's got 12 yoke of oxen. Interestingly enough, this wasn't typical of their day. You didn't always plow with 12 yoke of oxen. Oftentimes, it was customary to plow with one yoke of oxen. That could get the job done. And so what we see here is that this guy was pretty well-to-do. He, he, had a, he had a lot of money. He probably had some cash. I can just imagine him that morning going, I got this great plow. I got a, a, a set of oxen. Then I got 12 more sets, 24 total. Just use them all, you know. Let's just hook them all up. If I can plow the field in an hour with one, how quick can I do it with 12? And so he hooks them all up, and he's just doing his job. And then he passes him by, it says, which more likely means that he, he actually went out of his way. It, this wasn't just a happenstance situation. It wasn't like, hey, look at the dude over there that's plowing the field. He probably went out of his way. And we don't really know much about their connection. We don't know how they knew each other or if they knew each other. But this was a moment that was orchestrated by God. He need, God needed the right men for the job. He needed the right people to be speaking into Israel. And so he passes him by and it says he casts his cloak upon him. And this cloak, again, was this big, heavy coat of, of camel fur, and he throws it on him, which was interesting. This coat in their time often meant that you were a prophet if you were wearing this coat. And so he takes his coat off, and as he's walking by him, he throws it onto him, which was an interesting thing. It's a sign that he's saying, listen, I see something in you. When you would cast your cloak as a prophet onto a, another person, it was like saying, listen, I am a prophet. This is the sign that I'm a prophet. I'm going to place this on you, and this is my way of saying, I think this is in you. I think you can do this. I think this is what you were made to do. I don't know if you've ever been called to do something. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, hey, I think this is inside of you. I think you've got a gift. I think you've got an ability. I think that you've been specifically built for something. Uh, people have told me, Brian, I think that you're made to be a pastor. I think that you are built to do this. And I have always struggled with this. I've always struggled with just being a pastor and what it means to be somebody that, that works at the church. I, I, I oftentimes would reject that calling, you know. A friend of mine, a good friend of mine, he spent some time with me and mentored me and was willing to invest his time and energy into me. And he helped me to see God's call in my life. He helped me to see God's gifting in my life. And although I still struggle with this sometimes, I do see that God has gifted me and called me to do what I'm doing right now. And so I don't know if you know uh, what this is in your life that you've been called to do, that you're like, okay, people see this within me. But this was that kind of moment for him. So he says this in Matthew 28. We've read this over and over again. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Jesus says this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. He ends his ministry by telling everyone, listen, this is my call to you. This is your call. You don't have to figure it out. You don't have to go to school. You don't have to take a test to figure out, you know, what career to, to be a part of. This is the call of every person that is a disciple of Jesus. Go and make disciples. You don't need to pray about it. You don't need to think about it. This is the call that we've been talking about. And what's interesting about it is, it is it's not just something that you feel a calling for once you get somewhere as a Christian. It's not something that you accomplish where this is Christianity like 3.0. You know, like, okay, I become a Christian and I start following Jesus and then maybe I get my life together and I start figuring out some of this stuff. I learn a little theology. Maybe I start cracking open the Bible a little bit, reading that a little bit. This isn't Christian Christianity 3.0. This is Christianity 1.0. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. But we miss it, don't we? 
If I'm honest, I missed my call. If I'm honest, I could have rejected the call to go into ministry. I had people that were saying, Brian, I think you should be a pastor. I think this is something that you can do. I think it's something you're gifted for. And I had an opportunity to miss it. I could have said, no, listen, I'm going to go do what I was planning on doing. I, I plan on being a mechanic. I work with my hands. I love just getting into machines and getting dirty and greasy and making things work. And so that's, that's my plan. Don't mess with my plans. I got plans. And yet here I am today. And uh, sometimes I feel like it's pretty unlikely. Um, and, uh, and yet here we are. You see, God didn't call Elisha to see if he was able. He called him to see if he was available. You may think, I'm not able. Brian, you don't get it. I don't know enough to do this. You don't get it. I'm kind of a jerk sometimes when I'm not at church, and uh, I don't feel like God could really use me. You don't get it. Listen, my marriage is kind of a mess right now, and uh, once I get that together, uh, I'll, I'll be able to be used by God. God didn't call him because he was able. He'd never done this before. He's plowing fields. He probably had a successful business, and this is what he knew how to do, and yet God calls him to something that he knew nothing about, how to go be a prophet for God. I don't know if there's school for that at that point, but I'm assuming he hasn't taken any classes on this yet. Again, he answers the call. You guys have any friends that don't answer your calls? Yeah, you got some friends that don't answer your calls. You guys are terrible at hand-raising. Anybody that has friends that don't answer their calls? Yeah, a few of you. So uh, I was at a coffee shop this week, uh, and uh, I was in there, and it was actually a couple weeks uh, ago because I was on vacation. So right before I left vacation, I was in jitters, and I'm sitting there, I'm working on some stuff, and a friend of mine walks in, and he sits down, and he didn't see me. And so I'm like, I'm going to call him. And so I pick up my phone, and I call him. And you know what he did? He pulled it out. And he looks at it, and then he put it away. <laughs> Have you ever seen anybody do this? I'm like, no, you did not. <laughs> and so then I sent him the text, the like creeper, look behind you text. You know, I'm like, what's up with that? You know, <laughs> screen my call. I was so ticked off. I'm like, how can you do that? You don't love me. <laughs> we, we all do this to God. He's, he's, I, I believe that throughout our days and throughout our lives, there are these moments that we're like, okay, God is speaking to me, these opportunities. And we kind of pick up the phone and we're like, yeah, no. Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, that's going to get in my way. What I'm doing right now is really important. You don't get it. And, and, and that's going to mess with what I'm doing right now. So I don't, I don't want to do that. Or you just plain worry that what God is calling you to do, you are going to be able to do. You just plain have fear that is crippling fear. And you're like, I just, I can't do it. I'm just, I'm just afraid. One thing I've realized in ministry is that availability often turns into ability. Availability often turns into ability. There are people that I know that are doing amazing things in the kingdom, and they would be the most unlikely people. They're the kind of people that, that you would meet uh, maybe 10 years ago and be like, that person is never going to step foot in a church. That person would never be used by God. They're the kind of people that would be the most unlikely people. Or that person just does not have the skills to get up and teach. Or does not have the skills to have somebody follow their life. In fact, I don't think anybody should follow their life. They'd be a mess. Don't become like that person. See, what I've realized is that availability often turns into ability. We have people in our church here who just make themselves available. They just show up to stuff. They come and they're like, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't really know how to contribute, but I'm here. 
And what you find out is that just through the experience and the time, they learn things and they grow and they get better at what they do. What we've realized is that, you know what, you can't, you can't, you can qualify the convicted, but you can't convict the qualified. I've realized that as well. I can qualify the convicted, but I can't convict the qualified. Some of you are super talented. Some of you are great speakers. Some of you have really good lives that are worth emulating. Some of you love God, and yet, and yet you feel no desire to have anybody follow you. You have no desire to go and make disciples. And what I've realized is that I can't convict you. I can't change you. But if you're willing, if you're like, hey, Brian, listen, my life's a wreck. And, uh, you know, I don't really know anything about this stuff. And I'm kind of new here. And uh, I, I want to follow Jesus. Um, I don't really know what that looks like. And I'm like, well, following Jesus means making followers. You're like, okay, that's cool. How do you do that? And I'm like, okay, well, here's, here's kind of how you do it. It's real simple. You just kind of live life with people. You invite them to dinner. You spend time with people. You go down, you do projects, you know, working on your house with friends. You just, you do life with people. That's discipleship. And you start injecting little pieces of the gospel into their lives. It's very, very simple. That's what it means when you're available. And I think God can use that. Verse 20. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again for what have I done to you? Go back again for what have I done to you? So what is he saying here? He's like, hey, listen, I, uh, I want to kiss my father and my mother. That's a good thing to ask for. Kiss your parents, teenagers. Uh, you know, like, I want to kiss my father and my mother. I'm going to go away. It sounds like I'm leaving if I'm going to follow you. So I want to go honor my father and my mother. And so then he says, hey, go back again for what have I done to you? And what, he, what he's saying here is, is that, listen, I'm not doing anything here. Like, what I just did to you, tossing this cloak on you, saying, hey, I see this call on your life. You know what? That's not really from me. That's not my voice into your life. That is God speaking into your life. You need to realize this. He's like, it's like he's saying, listen, do what you want. I've done what I'm called to do. You're going to make the decision whether you're going to follow God or not, whether you're going to kiss your parents and say, I'm just going to watch some TV for a little bit and sit on the couch and actually not go back. This is up to you. And so he says, listen, I want to go back and kiss my parents. And he says, go for it. Do what you want. But I have I've placed this call on your life. And I feel like this is my call as a pastor. I feel like this is all we can do as leaders is say, listen, this is what God's word says. This is what scripture says. This is what the fullest of life is like. And it's up to you. It's up to you whether you come back. It's up to you whether you bring your friends. It's up to you whether you're going to reach out to the city and whether you're going to love people with self-sacrificial love. It's up to you. And that's what he's saying to them. And I've struggled with this. I've struggled with, um, with, with setting this bar for people and, uh, and separating myself and knowing that, hey, it's not about me. Um, as a worship leader, I remember struggling with uh, setting a high bar for the music and, and going, hey, listen, I want you to practice. You know, there was a point, this was a, this was a crazy transition for the worship team where I started saying, I want you to work on the music before you show up to church. Don't we have a great band, by the way? Give them a hand. Aren't they awesome? They're so good. I love these guys. Uh, Mason does an amazing job with them. But I remember when I was like, hey, I want you to work on your music. And you know what? I lost a couple people. 
I lost a couple people. They were like, no, I don't really want to do that. And that hurts, right? When, you, when you're like, hey, I, I really think this is the high bar. I really think that, that this is the, the best thing that you could be a part of. And, and I want you to give your best to this. And they're like, yeah, no. And so I had to pull back and go, listen, I, I, I'm, just, I'm just speaking for, for what, what God calls us to do. God says, bring your very best, and that's all I want us to do. And when people walk away, they walk away. Verse 21, it says, and he returned from following him. And he took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh, which doesn't sound like a great meal, but boiled their flesh for some reason with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. So this is the beginning of their relationship. So Elisha has this thriving business. He has this business and he's got money and he's got these cattle and he's got these yokes, and what does he do? He destroys it all. He destroys it all. This wasn't a happy little barbecue before he left. This was a total liquidation of his business. I mean, think about it like that. This wasn't like, oh, look, he just burned some stuff. And No, this was like, this is how I make money. This is how I support my family. This is how I get the life that I have. I'm going to burn it, and then I'm going to cook some meat, and then I'm going to feed you with it. This is strange, right? Who does this kind of thing? It doesn't make really any logical sense. So we're going we're gonna to explain that in a second, but I, I want to I tell you, this is what happened here. This is what happened. God is placing a call on a man's life, and he's responding. And what's happening here is happening with us right now. The first point is this. Elisha is found in his element. He's found in his element, right where he belongs, just doing his work, doing normal stuff with calluses on his hands. He's not, found, he's not found praying. He's not found at a school of theology, you know? He's not found in some kind of church. He's not found on a throne somewhere. He's found in the fields with the dust and the cows. And I love this because I think, you know, this is, this is where we're found. Because all of you are doing your own things. You're doing your own jobs. You're just in the middle of your lives doing normal things. And then out of nowhere, God places this higher calling on his life and says, listen, I have something more for you. I have something much greater for you. And I believe that sometimes God leaves us in our situation and he uses us right where we're at. But for him, he takes him out of his situation, out of where he's at, and uses him for the kingdom. So I really connect with this personally. Like I said, I planned on doing other things, and yet God calls me from what I was comfortable with, what I thought I would do, and places me into a different situation to be used by God. God often uses the most unlikely people in the most unlikely places to do the most unlikely things. If you guys read the word from beginning to end, God loves to do this. He loves to take the ill-equipped, the unexperienced, he loves to take the messy of the culture, the people that, that are just a wreck, and he loves to use them for amazing, amazing things. Do you guys ever struggle with where you are, with just being what you, what you are and where you are? Anybody? Like, I struggle with this sometimes, with wanting to be into what's next, with wanting to go somewhere else, to do other things, uh, you know, to accomplish other things. Like I said, I was in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and when I was in Cheyenne growing up, everybody wanted to be anybody but here. They always wanted to be somewhere else. You struggle with that? Like, I'm never happy where I am. I always want to be somewhere else. I'm not happy here. I always want to be there. And this was everybody in high school. They're like, I just can't wait to get out of this place. Get me out of Wyoming. 
You know what's funny is now when I go back and I walk around and I'm like, it's a nice place to live. You know what's funny? All my high school friends, they're moving back to Cheyenne. I'm like, you said you'd never live here again. I'm like, yeah, sorry, I know. What's funny about this feeling that we all have, it's literally we are hardwired to just want what we don't have. Within every, every human is this, this hardwiring to just want something else. And, and you know what the problem with always wanting, not wanting to be here and wanting to be there is? That, that when you get there, you know where you are? Here. You're here. I'm going to get this in like five minutes. It'll come together. So when you're, when, when, when you, when you're here and you want to be there, when you get there, where are you at? You're here. And here you are. And now what? I mean, this is life for us. We're always wanting other things, wanting to be in other places, to do other things. Here this man is found doing just a mundane thing, working in the field, getting his hands dirty. And that's where God meets him. I wonder for you if, if God has amazing things right in front of your face. I wonder for you there are amazing opportunities right before you, amazing relationships to build. Amazing things to experience, and yet you miss it because you always want to be there. I see this all the time in Alaska. If I, would, if I could just live somewhere that I didn't have to shovel my driveway in 20 below, then I'd be happy. Like, you know, if I could just be in that other job, get that other position, then I'd be happy. If I could just be in this other relationship with this other person, then I'd be really, really happy. The problem is... This is a constant treadmill. You never get off it. We're always doing this, always wanting something else. And I just wonder for you, I wonder if right where you're at, if God has divine opportunities for you, chances to impact the world straight from, your, straight from where you work. I wonder for us as a church in Eagle River, you know, we're just, we're just the church in Eagle River, Alaska. What can we do? And yet I wonder if God has us right here, right now, with the people that we have, with a specific call to reach our city, to reach our state, and to reach our world. I wonder. I believe that that's the case for us. I believe that God has amazing things in store for ACF Church as well. And what's interesting about this call is it's kind of mobile. It says that he's walking by, he casts his cloak upon him. As he's walking by. It's almost like he doesn't even stop. It's like, he's, he's like, here's the coat. I'm going. I feel like this is how the call of God is in your life. It's one of those things where it's like, you can respond. You can respond now or you don't respond at all. I mean, you're going you're gonna to miss it. And I've seen these opportunities go by. I've seen chances to do what I knew that God was calling me to do and walk right on by. And I noticed it after the fact. And you know when I noticed it? It was too late. And so it's interesting, he's just walking by, casts the cloak on him, says, this is it. I believe the opportunities of God are just, they're always mobile, they're never static. It's always changing. And I do believe that walking in disobedience and saying, God, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. That's going to mess with my work. That's going to mess with my life. That's going to mess with what I do naturally too much. And so I'm going to resist that. I believe that puts us in an opportunity to miss God's call in our life. The second point is this, Elisha is faced with a decision. He is faced with a decision to make. And when he's faced with it, he says this, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to them, Go back again, for what have I done to you? 
Let me kiss my father and my mother. There's a similar passage when I read this that many of you maybe have heard before in Matthew 8, 18. I'm going to just read this for you real quick. It says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I always read that. I'm like, that's pretty messed up, Jesus, right? So my dad's dead. Can I just bury him before I follow you? Let them bury their, their, their selves. Let them dig their own hole. Like that seems pretty harsh, Jesus. So I read these two passages. What's the difference here? Both a call to follow, both a similar situation Yet Elijah says, hey, can I go kiss my parents? And he's like, hey, do what you want. Jesus says, he says, can I go bury my father? Jesus says, no, let them bury themselves. See, Jesus sees beyond what's being said here. Jesus sees into the heart of this man. He sees that he's not just trying to honor his father. He's trying to get out of the responsibility. And this is a different type of situation. Whereas Elisha, he's, he's trying to honestly honor his parents. He's saying, listen, I just want to honor these guys. I am following you wholeheartedly. I've made a choice to, to follow you already. It's not changing. And so it's a different type of situation. Jesus sees into our hearts. He sees our excuses. He sees our loopholes. I love loopholes. I love saying, listen, God, I would, but I can't because of this. Because of the situation. Really, honestly, you put me in. I mean, you kind of did this to me, or you're the one that's not getting me out of this. And so once you do, then I will follow. I mean, I am just really good at doing this. It's a totally different situation. See, I think that when you truly follow Jesus, when you're willing to make the hard choices, when you make this choice in your heart, you're going to see some miracles. Some of you are asking for God. You're like, I want to see God perform miracles in my life. I want to see amazing things happen. And yet you've never truly followed him. I think that we're our own worst enemies. I think that we are the ones that are missing out. I think God is saying, listen, I want to I show you amazing things. And what you may not realize today is that if you follow Jesus hard enough and long enough, you're going to see miracles. You're going to see amazing things happen in, the, in your life and in the lives of other people. And you can't just dip your toe in the water of Christianity and expect to see amazing things. Because you're not truly following Jesus. You're not truly a disciple. Again, discipleship takes commitment. It takes giving of everything. I believe that this will play into the next season of our church. We've been praying as a staff a lot about what's next for ACF Church. We've been praying about, hey God, what are you doing in our city? What are you doing in the world? We've been praying about some different countries that we're going to start reaching into. We're praying about what it looks like to do ministry here in our city in the, this next season. And, and here's, what, here's the thing. I think it's going to take all of you to do it. I, th- I think it's going to, Josh agrees. I think it's going to take all of you to, to do it. I think it's going to take every one of us to do what God calls us to do. The, the tendency is the, the bigger the crowd grows, the more you feel like you can kind of sit on the sidelines, right? 
That's just a tendency in churches. If you've ever been in bigger churches, that I, don't, I forget what the percentage is. I think pastors just make it up anyway. But it's like, you know, 10% of the people do, you know, 90% of the work. I don't know what it is. But it's, it's a very small percentage of the people do 90% of the work in the church or of the inviting of people to church or of the ministry in the community. And I believe that's a, that's a higher statistic the greater, the bigger the church gets. And our church is a good-sized church. I don't know if you guys know this. We have, we have about 700 people here on a weekend. It's a, that's a lot of people. And that's in the summer. And so we're going, hey, if God grows our church, you know what could happen? There could be a whole segment of you that just go to the sidelines and say, I'm so glad you guys are doing this. I'm so glad that, that we are reaching our city and I get to be a part of this thing without being a part of it. And so I believe that this is a huge deal for our church in this next season that every one of you would see the, God, the call of God on your life in the place that you're at right now. I don't care what you're doing. I don't care if you have one friend or a hundred friends or what kind of job you're a part of or how hard your life is right now. I, I know it can be hard. I know it can be difficult. God wants to use you right there in that situation. Maybe you guys have heard this term, Fisher cut bait. You guys heard that term? There's other less appropriate ones. I use that one for the fishing thing. Fish or cut bait is the term that, thought to my, that, that came to mind of like, okay, at what point are we just dipping our toes in the water? It's like I'm either going to jump in or not jump in at all. I'm either going to fish or I'm going to go home. And there comes a point, and I see this in Jesus' ministry where he's inviting everyone. He says, all right, just, just come and follow me. I'm going to give you some food. I'm going to take care of you. And then he, then he hits him over the head with, listen, hey, it's going to cost you everything to follow me. Who's in? Crickets, right? Crickets. I got something to do, Jesus. I don't know if you know this. The food was great, but I got to get back to work. I got other stuff kind of going on. It's going to cost you everything. And last point is this. Elisha frees himself to follow. Frees himself to follow. It says that he returned from him, took the yoke of the oxen, sacrificed them, boiled their flesh with the yokes of oxen, and gave it to the people. And I was thinking about this. Like, why did this have to happen? The first thing that came to mind is, isn't that wasteful? Right? Isn't there a better use of yokes and oxen? You know, like maybe, or maybe he could have taken some other animals and eaten those. Maybe he could have got some firewood and, and just cooked it and fed everybody enemy. Why would he do this? You know, the, the first thing that came to mind, we don't know this. The first question I had is, I wonder if Elisha was a little materialistic. I wonder, I wonder if he knew, like, okay, I've been called. Okay, I have this opportunity in my life. Okay, it's going to take everything for me to go and do this. But you know what's always going to be in the back of my head? The yoke and the oxen. The plows. What's comfortable. My home. It's always going to be there. And what does he do? He burns it all. And so I don't know. I wonder if maybe he was a little materialistic. I wonder if, I wonder if Elijah knew, listen, if I don't get rid of all of this, I'm always going to be going back. I'm always going to be running back to what's comfortable. I'm always going to be trusting in the things that make me feel safe that aren't Jesus. Anybody connect with that? Man, I've got a lot of things like that. And he burns it. He has a little bonfire of all of his stuff. It's like your business, and he just lights a match. Don't do this, but he lights a match to his business, and it goes up, and they're just, it's done. No more business. No more backup plan. You are committed. 
And what I love about this story is then he feeds the people. He burns it all and he feeds the people. I love that. I love that he didn't just burn it and leave it. He, he fed the people. And what I want you to know today is when you commit yourself to the kingdom of God, when you give yourself up for God, nothing is wasted. Nothing you do is wasted. It's all got value. What he did was an act of worship. What he did was he, he knew there was a decision to make. He knew, listen, I can't follow my own journey and follow Jesus at the same time or follow, you know, Elijah. I can't, I can't be who God wants me to be and be what I have been. I've got to change something. I can't keep one foot in and one foot out. I've got to change. I've got to make a commitment. So he said, I'm going to make a full commitment. And he gave it, he gave it all. Up. It's an act of worship. It wasn't wasteful. It was his way of saying, I am all in for this call in my life. So why are we touched by a story of a dad who loves his daughter in such a way that he's willing to just work and slave and sacrifice for her? Why is that? So I think that inside of everybody is this, this, this image of God. And I believe on the image of God is this desire to give oneself up for someone else. And what we read in the story is that God himself puts on the skin of humanity, sends Jesus to earth. And it even says literally that it was God's pleasure to crush him for us. That God gave up everything through Christ Jesus so that we might live with him. Isn't that awesome? It's so beautiful. That's the story that we celebrate every single Sunday. And the reason that your heart kind of churns a little bit at a story like that is because you were made to do the same. You were made to be a person of sacrifice. You were made to be a person that gives themselves up. This world was not made for you. And so when we do that, there's something I think that comes alive. I think when you sacrifice yourself, it's like your world gets bigger. Anybody ever experienced this? Every year we do Impact Eagle River. We'll be doing it again this year. We'll be going out into our city and serving people. We'll be raking yards and changing oil for people. Let me just tell you, talk to the people that have done that. When they leave there, they feel a little lighter. And those people have problems. They have Issues. They have gone through stuff. Everybody's got their own story. And yet you walk away from giving yourself to people and you just feel lighter. And your world is just a little bit bigger. And you just have a peace in your heart that doesn't come from your circumstances. It doesn't come from things being good and happy all around you. It comes from this connection with the heart of God and his love for people. I think it's what we're made to use, so my, to do. So my question for you is what needs to burn so that you can fully be devoted to the life and the mission of Jesus? What needs to burn? Is it your pride? Are you just like, nah, I'm too good for that? No, um, I, I don't want to deal with those people, you know? Like what is it? Is, you, is it your pride? Is it like, hey, I, no, I don't really want to be a part of this thing. Is it your independence? Like, hey, I can take care of myself. I've got things kind of figured out on my own. Is it your cynicism? Are you just a cynic? Do you come into a situation like this and are you just picking it apart, looking for problems, looking for ways to, to get a cop out and to not have to deal with it? Are you just a cynic? 
Are you materialistic? Do you trust in the things of this world to bring you peace? Do you trust in what's next? Do you trust in not being here but being there? And that's going to make me happy. At that point, maybe God will use me. At that point, maybe I'll be fulfilled. Is it, is it a relationship that's really bad for you? Is it that guy or girl or whoever it may be that you're like, all right, this, th- everybody's telling me that, that this isn't good for me, but I know better. All of the signs show that this isn't good for me, but I know better. What is it that you need? Is it, is it that relationship? Is it maybe an identity found in your job or found in something other than Jesus? I don't know what it is that needs to burn, but I want to tell you, if you want to see miracles, if you want to see your life change and the li- lives of, of people around you change, you have to give yourself away. But let me pray for us as we enter into worship. Jesus, I just confess that I often live with one foot in and one foot out. God, that I I put my trust in things that can't be trusted. God, and I find hope in things that one day will be dust. God, I want to pray over this body of people. God, that those who are being challenged and called into a greater life in Christ would receive it. God, your love is so good. Your grace is sufficient to cover us. God, I pray that no one in this room would resist following you because they're just too far gone. God, you love to take the messiest and the most broken. God, and use them for great things. And so, Father, I just pray that today that we could respond to your love. God, and that those who are willing would come up and go public and say, I'm not ashamed of Jesus. And as we worship God, I pray that we could all worship from a place of gratitude, that we would sing from a place of thankfulness, God, that we got breath in our lungs today, that we've got another day to live for you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Thanks.